All right, this morning we're going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And by now, your Bible should open right up to it. We've been in here for about 10 weeks now. And still in chapter 1, we'll get through it eventually, but the Lord has a lot here for us to learn. 1 Peter chapter 1, we've been reading and focusing on verses 13 through 16. And just as a real quick reminder, remember the first part of this chapter, Peter is just uh, explaining the greatness of the salvation we have in Christ, the power of God that keeps us in that salvation, the hope that we have because of that salvation. And by the time you get to to verse 13, he gives us, with that privilege comes a great responsibility, and that responsibility is a response of living in holiness to God and being committed to uh, to that goal for God for us, that goal of holiness. And last week, we started looking at three obstacles to holiness, Peter, in verses 13 and 14 specifically, give us the work that we must do, the things that we have to pay attention to in regard to our holiness. And so out of that, we find three obstacles. The first one, as we looked at last week, is apathy, just not caring about holiness, not making it a priority in our lives. And we've seen that if if apathy is our approach or our response to the salvation that God has given us. We don't care about what God is trying to do or wants to do in us. All we care about is the heaven part. Then really, that's not true faith. It's called believing in vain. But it's that apathetic attitude that uh, and laziness that comes with it that becomes a major obstacle in our pursuit of holiness. And so this morning, we're going to look at the second one. The second one is ignorance, but we want to read verses 13 through 16 again just to get into the mind of Scripture, and then we'll look at what God has for us. So starting at verse 13, this is Peter again telling us our response. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for, uh, for I am holy. Let's take a minute to pray before our message today. Our Father, again, as we go into your word now, as you want to speak to us, I pray that you would quiet our hearts, remove distractions, help us to focus, to pay attention to what you would want to teach us. Lord, help us not to just be hearers, but to be active listeners. And may your spirit guide us, help us to understand, give us illumination, shine the light of your word into our hearts so that we can understand what it is that that you've called us to. And Father, I pray that you would do your work in each one of us through your word. I need your help, Lord. I need strength. I need your voice. I need your words. I need your wisdom. So fill me with your spirit, I pray. Give me the words to speak so that your truth is proclaimed, that you might receive all the praise and glory and honor during this time. So we submit ourselves to you and to the power and authority of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned last week, the first obstacle that we saw to holiness is apathy. And apathy, that 
attitude of really not caring about what God's purpose for us in holiness is leads to the second one, which is ignorance. The second obstacle to holiness is ignorance. And I want you to look again specifically at verse 13. And Peter says here, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's three action verbs there. Three actions which we must take and put into action in our lives. And all of these actions, if you look carefully at them, have to do with our minds. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. When he says, be sober, the reference there, and some of you may have it in your Bibles, is to be sober-minded, serious-minded about this. And then he says, fix your hope. Our hope is what we think, our opinions, our feelings, are the things that we have learned, and then our response to them in what we're trusting in. And so our hope is based on what we know. And we know what God has given us in his word. And so there's three actions, he says. Gird up the loins of your mind or prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. In other words, focus your mind. And with, if you want to use the word with our minds under control, and that control is by the control of the Holy Spirit, disciplined, serious about holiness, and then third, fixing our hope on the grace which is to come, not looking just and trusting in just what we see now, but knowing and fixing our hope in what God has promised us. And, and Peter elaborated on all of that in, uh, in verses 1 through 12. So the commands here that Peter gives us in regard to becoming holy are in regard to our minds and our thinking. And so with that in mind, we have to understand that if we are truly serious about becoming holy as God has called us to be holy in our Christian lives as believers, then it starts with our minds. It starts with the condition and the state of our minds, what we do with our minds. Our minds have to be prepared. They have to be disciplined. They have to be focused on the work that's required, on the, work that, on the goal that God has called us to. Otherwise, we will fail to pursue and fail to grow in this holiness that God has called us to. Now, I want to take some time and look specifically, especially at this first one. He says, gird up the loins of your mind or prepare your minds for action is what some of you might have in your version. But the picture here is an analogy to men in Bible times and Everybody back then wore robes. They would have a tunic that came down to about their knees, and then they would wear a robe on top of that or a cloak. And that usually went down to their ankles. Okay, so it was full length. And when men were ready to do work or when they were preparing to go into battle, what they would do is they would reach between their legs down behind and pull the back hem of their robe up and then tuck it into their belt. So it would make almost like shorts. It would pull the, the coat and the tunic up out of the way of their legs, and it would be secured in their belt. And that way, their robe and their tunic would not get in the way of them having to move or run or any kind of work that they had to do. And especially, it was important in battle, so you wouldn't get tangled up in it and trip and be subject uh, or be more vulnerable to the enemy. So Paul uses this picture here, or, or Peter uses this picture here, when he says, this is what we should do with our minds. And the idea is to secure all the loose ends. 
We're not going to let anything be loose hanging out there. Secure the cloak, secure the garments, secure the loose ends so that you are prepared for battle. Now, Paul uses this analogy when he describes the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. In uh, verse 14, he says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, Paul's specifically talking about the belt that secures everything, but it's the same idea where our minds now are to be girded or secured, all the loose ends of our minds are to be secured by the truth of God. That's what Paul calls the belt, the the truth of God. And he was saying in, in the picture of the armor, it's that belt of God's truth that secures everything else. He talked about the breastplate of righteousness that we are to wear. But the breastplate hangs over the shoulders and then secures to the belt so that it's fastened in place. He talks about the sword of the spirit or the word of God and the sword is attached to the belt. It's secured on the belt. And so everything about being secure or girding up our loins has to do with that belt. And that belt is the truth of God's word. That becomes the focus here. And so Peter, in saying that we are to gird up the loins of our mind or prepare our minds for action, he's saying that God's truth becomes the focus of all of that. That God's truth must be instilled in your mind. It must be understood by your mind in order for it to have an effect on your outward conduct, which he talks about in verse 15. So it all starts with our mind. Using the picture here, the importance then is knowing and understanding the word of God becomes the foundation or one of the first steps of pursuing holiness. So the analogy is that the truth is what holds everything in place, secures all the loose ends. Now, think about the loose ends of your thinking. What would be the loose ends or the loose apparatus of your thinking? Well, it's anything that's not secured in the Word of God. It would be anything in your life that's not governed or guided by biblical principles. Now, I've made this statement that, and and I made this commitment to the Lord, and I've uh, apologize to the Lord. I have to confess that I'm not faithful in it, but I committed to the Lord to try to do everything in my life to make every decision and every action would be based on a biblical principle. Now, there's two parts of that. Number one, we got to know the biblical principles. Number two, then we got to do them. Okay? And I'm not perfect in that, but that's the goal. And that's what Peter is saying here. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, tie up all the loose ends of your thinking process and the things that you think about so that it all becomes secured in the truth of God. And therefore, everything that comes out of your life and out of your thinking starts with the word of God and is based upon the word of God and your actions then will follow that. And that's what he's talking about in verse 15 when he says, be holy in all manner of conversation. Every part of our lives then is secured and governed by God's word and the principles that we learn there. So for a believer, common sense is not a viable foundation for our thinking or our decisions. Because there's a lot of common sense in our world, a lot of the world's wisdom, that is not God's wisdom. 
For instance, Jesus says, if you are to save your life, we are to do what? Lose it. Give it up. Now, that doesn't make sense for a human being, right? If we are to save our life, our natural instinct is, oh, i got to preserve it. I've got to protect my life. And Jesus says, no, that's not real life. Real life, if you really want real life, you have to lose it. You have to be willing to give it up first. It's not about you. And so we can't use the world's common sense as the foundation of our thinking. Those loose ends have to be tied up and secured by the word of God. Now, think about why God has given us the Bible. Ask that question. Why did God give us the Bible? And the answer is, well, in the Bible, we have revealed to us not just what we're supposed to do as believers, not just the way of salvation, but what we have is a revelation of God himself. And in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus said while he was on earth that he fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Everything that was written in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. We just sang that. Everything that's in the New Testament points to Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is to reveal to us who God is and what he is like. And when we understand who God is and what he is like in his holiness, in his perfectness, in his sinlessness, in his love, in his justice, in his mercy, in his judgment, all parts of him, as we understand that, then we look at ourselves and we realize, wow, I'm nothing. Wow, I failed in everything. I'm not even close to that. And that's the whole point. The Bible reveals to us the glory and majesty of God and the sinfulness of ourselves. Now, we looked at Deuteronomy a couple weeks ago, and we saw in Deuteronomy, just as we read here in 1 Peter chapter 1, that God calls his people to be holy as he is holy. And so as we read the word of God and the word of God reveals to us what God is like, then we start to get a picture of what God wants us to be like. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the word of God. Because without that picture, we're just kind of grasping in the dark about what holiness is. Now, we can make up our own definitions. We can come up with what we think it is. But the Bible is what defines it. And in fact, God's nature as revealed in the Bible is what defines holiness. And so the holiness that we're called to is about becoming more like God. We can't do that ourselves. That's the work of the Spirit in us. But God uses his word to show us the picture of what we are supposed to become and to show us the goal of what the Spirit is making us to be like. And in that process, he also shows us things in our lives that can't be part of that picture. And so it all starts with the word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 11, David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, finish the verse, that I might not sin against thee. So what's the opposite of that? If we don't hide God's word in our heart, if we don't know what it says, what's the result going to be? We will sin. And in fact, most of our sin, I would, I would present that, that as Christians, most of our sin is because we don't know what the Bible says about certain things. Now, you might say, well, you know, David's talking about the Old Testament here. He's talking about the law and the prophets. Okay, yeah, that means... It's important for David, but it's important for us as well. Again, we looked at, in Deuteronomy, 
a picture of God's holiness when he established for Israel the law and he said, okay, I'm going to set apart certain days to be holy. There's certain food that's going to be holy. There's a certain way to worship in holiness. And he went down this list of things that he had dedicated as holy to himself. And he said, therefore, don't defile them with what is common. Set them apart. So the Old Testament gives us a picture of what God means when he says, be ye holy. And in the New Testament, Peter's uh, repeating that uh, commandment, and he's saying, this is not just for Israel, this is for all God's people, including those who are believers in the church. We are to be holy. Now, it doesn't mean we have to keep all of the feasts and all the festivals and all of the rituals of the Old Testament, but it does mean that we are to live out the principles that are kept there, and we are to become like God as he is revealed in Scripture. And so David says in Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart. That picture of God, I want to be instilled in me so that as I live, I can know whether I'm reflecting that nature of God or I'm reflecting the sinful nature that is me. Psalm 119.105, later on, he says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. It guides me to make decisions. It guides me to go in the right direction. But it all starts with the Word of God. Now, again, you might say, well, it's Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament is important for us as believers as well today, but we have an advantage today because we have the Holy Spirit in us. David did not, not like we do. The Old Testament saints did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Christ gave the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and so he indwells us, and so we have the Spirit guiding us. But it's the Word of God that the Spirit uses to direct our steps. Let me go to Ephesians 5 for a minute. You might be familiar with this passage. In chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, Paul says, Wherefore, don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So there Paul's saying, I don't want you to be drunk or controlled by alcohol or some foreign substance. I want you to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. And under the control of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit guides us, here's the results. He goes on in verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And by the way, in Ephesians 5, when Peter says, don't be drunk with wine, it's the same word that Peter uses here when he says, be sober, not under control of a foreign substance. Now, when you're drunk, you're under the control of alcohol. If you're high, you're under the control of illicit drugs. And what Paul is saying is, we are to be under the control of God's Spirit. That's what controls us. Everything we do is now controlled by God's Spirit. And the results are speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart, giving thanks always to God, submitting yourselves one to another. Those are the results of being controlled by the Spirit of God. And so he gives us that example. But then in Colossians chapter 3, this is a parallel passage to this. He gives us something very similar. Let me read Colossians 3, 16 to 20. He says, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, just like Ephesians 5, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, just like Ephesians 5, and whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. There's that thanksgiving, just like Ephesians 5. And then he says, and do all the name, I'm sorry, giving thanks to God, the Father by him. And then in verses 19 through 20, he gives us examples of submitting to one another. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. So all of them are examples of how we submit to one another. So the results are exactly the same in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. But in Ephesians 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit, and this is what will come out of you. In Colossians 3, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and this is what will come out of you. Is it a contradiction? Absolutely not. The point he's making is this. When we are filled with the Spirit and we are filled with the word of God, letting it literally saturate our lives and control our lives, then these will be the results. So it's a combination of the truth of God being instilled in us, and that becomes the fuel, if you will, that the Holy Spirit uses to produce his fruit in our lives. But it all starts with the word of God. It's the word that is the fuel that powers the Spirit's work in your life. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, that is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God is found in his word, and it's not just in the written word, it's in his spoken word. This was at one point spoken by God and recorded. So this is God's spoken word to us. And we know that all through the Bible, we see that in the word of God, the spoken word of God is his power. In creation, when he created the world, how did he do it? He spoke, and it came into being. He spoke, and he breathed out stars and planets and solar systems. When you get to Revelation, when Jesus comes back, it says that he's going to conquer and trample his enemies at his second coming, and it says the sword that comes out of his mouth, that is his word, will destroy his enemies. And so the power of God is found in his word. And that's what Paul's saying in Romans 1.16, the power of God to salvation is found in the gospel. And so it is with us that the power of God to live unto holiness is found in his word. We can't do it without the word of God. And so Peter is commanding us to be sober-minded here, having our minds under the control of God's spirit through the truth of God's word. And when we do that, then the loose ends of our thinking will all be wrapped up and governed by God's word. We won't use common sense. We won't use our own understanding, as Proverbs 3 tells us. We will trust in God's truth because that becomes the foundation of everything we do. So Peter defines this condition of our minds as being secured or girded in the word of God. And then what is the result? If you jump down to verse 14, he says, as obedient children. When everything is wrapped up in the word of God, obedience will be the result. Now, obedience is the process 
that God uses to bring us to holiness. He teaches us things as we grow in our understanding of the word and start to practice them, and then he gives us a little more. And then he gives us a little more, and as we grow in understanding the word, we grow in holiness, but only if we're obeying it. And so the results of the word, the power of the word in our lives, is obedience. Psalm 119 starts this way. The whole whole psalm is about the word of God, but Psalm 118, David starts this way, blessed are the undefiled in the way. By the word, that word blessed is the same word blessed that Jesus used in Matthew 5 when he said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Okay, those are the children of God. And he says, blessed here in Psalm 119, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, that seek him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. The blessing comes when the word of God becomes the priority. And if we don't know the word of God, then we're basically ignorant by choice as believers. And so our knowledge and understanding of Scripture is the key aspect of our growth and holiness. And as we grow in the Word, we will grow in our outward conduct, Peter says, in holiness as well. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit who does the work of holiness in us, but it's the Word of God that he uses to accomplish it. And Jesus said that in his high priestly prayer in John 17, He said in verse 17, sanctify, that means cleanse them or prepare, make them holy. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He's praying to God about our sanctification, about our coming to holiness. And he doesn't pray specifically and says, Father, send the spirit to make them holy. He doesn't say empower the spirit to make them holy. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. And so Jesus understood that it's a word of God where the power is found. And so if we're serious and focused on understanding the truth of God in regard to holiness, then we'll be serious and focused on obeying it. Our problem is that many of us have chosen to be ignorant of what the Bible teaches, and that has become one of our greatest obstacles to holiness. We saw apathy last week. We don't care. Well, apathy means we become lazy, and because we're lazy, we also become ignorant, or we stay ignorant. We don't know what God has called us to. We don't know what God wants us to do. We don't know what God has told us in his word. We have no idea how to apply it because we haven't read it. I want you to think of the Bible as a giant puzzle, okay? In fact, think of the Christian life that God has called us to, holiness, as a giant puzzle, Okay, I've done lots of puzzles. You probably have done puzzles. And when you open the box, you have that picture on the front. And that's what you're trying to complete, putting all those pieces in place. Now, when you pour the puzzle out, a lot of those pieces are upside down. You have no idea what color they are, where they would fit, because they're upside down. They all are just that brown cardboard. Okay, so you've got to do the work of turning them over to see what those pieces are. See, that's equivalent to reading the passages in the Word of God. 
We have to go day by day and turn over those pieces that aren't revealed yet to us because we haven't sought them out. God has revealed all of it in the Bible. We just haven't turned those pieces over. But if we have this puzzle and we say, let's say this puzzle is a great, a, a nice scenic landscape, okay? And in this landscape, we have on one edge a grove of trees. And then on the other edge, there might be a green pasture with some, some sheep grazing in a field. And then the bottom part of the puzzle is you see a path that winds its way through the picture and then disappears into the distance. And in the middle, we have, I'm sorry, in the upper part of the puzzle, we have mountains in the distance. And in the very middle, there's a pond. And in the pond, there are ducks and geese swimming in the water. And then on the very edge of the pond, there's this one rock, and on that rock sits one small turtle. And if I came to you and said, well, look at this puzzle. What's this puzzle about? You say, oh, it's a beautiful landscape. And I said, no, it's not. It's a picture of a turtle. Well, he's there, right? But that's how most of us view our Christianity from Scripture. Because we cherry-pick verses that are our favorite, or we skim the cream, the easy stuff to understand, and we say, well, the Bible's talking about a turtle. That's the picture of Scripture, because that's all we've read. We've only turned over a few pieces, and all we've got is the turtle. We're missing the rest of the picture. And so we're missing the idea of holiness and the life that God has called us to because we haven't done the work to turn the rest of the pieces over. And in doing, not doing that then, remember the picture of the Bible is Christ. We don't correctly see him. And so we don't correctly respond to what we are to become. And so this command for the work, God's people to prepare their minds with the word of God is important for us. Ignorance is not a choice. But when we choose ignorance because we're not faithful in turning those pieces over, we are not fulfilling God's plan for our lives. We have not fulfilling God's purpose of holiness that he's called us to. This command goes all the way back to Israel, as I mentioned, in Joshua 1.8. Only be thou strong and very courageous, but that, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou doest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That means we talk about it as well. But um, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That's continuous. Do you continuously think about what you're doing and how it fits in with what God has told us to do? Continuously, day and night. I'm not talking take five minutes to do your devotions in the morning. I'm talking every moment of the day, are you judging and looking at your life going, what does God want me to do in this situation? And what am I doing? Is it give glory to God? Is it in obedience to the principles of God's word? David echoed this principle in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Day and night. When we get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says the same things in Romans 12. There, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The transforming of our mind, filling it with Scripture. We already saw in Colossians 3 how the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us richly, above everything else. And Paul tells us in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read this this morning in our responsive reading, all Scripture is given by God, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture. So how much of it are we supposed to pay attention to? All of it. How many pieces have we turned over? Philippians 4.8, Paul specifically defines what our minds should be filled with. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Fill your mind with these things. Now, it's interesting. If you take that list and then you go back to the Psalms, especially Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, what you will find is that David uses almost those exact words, but a direct correlation of everything in that list that Paul gave us to describe God's word. God's word alone is truth. God's word alone is honorable and glorious. God's word alone is just and righteous. God's word alone is absolutely pure. God's word alone is beautiful and lovely. God's word alone is of good repute. And God's word alone is excellent and worthy of praise. What can surpass God's word? Nothing. And so when Paul says, think on these things, he's literally saying, think on what God has given us in his word. Why is it that the Bible alone meets this description? Because the Bible is not just God's spoken word. The Bible is God's thoughts. And if we are called to be like him in holiness, then we should think the same thoughts that God thinks. Do you care what God thinks? Well, that shows in how often you open his word and turn over those pieces. We have recorded for us in Scripture the truth-filled, the glorious, righteous, pure, beautiful, excellent thoughts of God, our Father, who is perfectly holy in every one of his thoughts and in every one of his ways. It's recorded all for us right here. We don't have to guess. And so it's his thoughts that should become our thoughts if we are serious about holiness. And so Peter is saying here in chapter 1 that in order for us to be holy, our thoughts must be conformed to the thoughts of our holy God. Our problem is that we are ignorant of what holiness should look like because we are either too lazy or don't care to look through all the other puzzle pieces of Scripture other than the ones that we like and that fit our agenda and our lifestyle Or 
We just don't want to know what the big picture is, and we don't want to see those other pieces of the puzzle. Hebrews chapter 15, the author says in verses 12 through 14, For at a time when you ought to be teachers, you still have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. That means we don't know how to put the Bible into practice. He goes on in chapter 6 of Hebrews, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. That's the same word as holiness, maturity, completeness. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again. And here's the simple, the preliminary doctrines that the writer of Hebrews is talking about that we're going to move on from so we can grow. He says, moving aside or not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. Now, all of those are important parts of the gospel of Christ that brings us to salvation. But salvation does not stop when we accept Christ. That is the beginning of our growth journey. That is the beginning of our journey toward holiness. And unfortunately, I think there are many believers who have accepted Christ and said, well, that's enough for me. I don't need to know anything else because I'm on my way to heaven. And we have chosen to be ignorant in the rest of Scripture for one reason or another. I don't know. Maybe it's just because we're lazy. Maybe it's because we don't want to know what the rest of Scripture teaches us. Because in our salvation, we want to define what our Christian lives will look like. And if we start turning over pieces and they're in opposition to the way we live or the decisions we make, then we will have a responsibility to have to change things in our lives or give things up that we love and can't let go. And so we don't even look at the pieces. We can't grow in holiness if we choose to be ignorant of God's word. It is his word that gives us the call to holiness when we're saved, and it is his word that will bring us along, it is the power that brings us along that journey toward becoming holy. It tells us what holiness is. It tells us what it looks like. It tells us what parts of our life it includes. It tells us how we are to get there, and it will tell us what we will look like as we draw closer to it. It's all in Scripture. but we don't want it, generally. We have decided what our holiness will look like and the limits that we will go to for God in our life and the things that we will not give up because we claim them in Christian liberty or whatever other reason we have, and we neglect to grow in holiness because of our ignorance. So many believers have chosen willful ignorance in order to keep living the way that they want to. Look at the end of verse 14 in 1 Peter 1. It says in verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust, what's the last phrase? In your ignorance. If we are ignorant of God's word, then our lives will be formulated and controlled by something other than God's word. And Peter says, If you don't know God's word, 
then you're going to resort back to the lusts that you lived in before you were saved. What I want, what I think, the loose ends, common sense. I don't need God's truth. I've got common sense. And so the result of ignorance is that we choose to live in our lust. And that is the third obstacle to holiness, which we're going to look at next week. The question for us is this. When are we going to get serious about letting our lives be controlled by God's word instead of living in ignorance? Willfully. Holiness is what we've been called to. It is our duty. It is our reasonable service, Paul says. And it is our responsibility to find out what God wants our lives to look like in salvation so that he is glorified and his nature is reflected in us and through us. That's the whole purpose of holiness, so that God is given the glory. So we cannot choose ignorance as a viable option. We are commanded to be enriched by the Word of God, to be filled with the Word of God, and to be controlled by the Holy Spirit as He uses God's Word in our life to bring us along that path to holiness to accomplish the goal that God has called us to. Be ye holy as God is holy. Is that the goal? Is that a priority? Is that what we choose to do? Well, your life answers that question, not your words. But let us not be ignorant in understanding God's word and what it has called us to and how we get there. Let us be diligent in studying God's word individually and together so that we can put that puzzle together the best we can and see what God has for us and what he's called us to in holiness. Let's pray. Father, again, we just praise you for your word. You pray for the challenge that you've given us today. And Lord, a lot of it comes down to not us being not strong enough or not um, not able to do these things. Lord, you've given us everything that we need for holiness. You've told us that. Your word is right here in front of us. We all have access to it much more easily than many more people in the world, and yet we claim ignorance because we choose not to turn over the pieces of your word on a regular basis to see what the picture is supposed to look like. I pray that you would chastise us. I pray that you would forgive us, but that you would give us that urgency to know, to want to know the truth that you've given us, to know every part as much as we can so that every part of our life is in conformity with your purpose for us. And it's only then that we can truly give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you deserve. So, Lord, we trust in you to continue to guide us, to continue to teach us, to continue to exhort us in the life that we're supposed to live in holiness. We can't do it without you, so help us to submit ourselves to that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.